Well, hey, everybody, welcome to the Pursue God podcast. I'm Pastor Brian, joined again by Pastor Ross, Pastor Eric, and today we're in week number five, our final week in our series that we've been calling Culture Wars. We've been going through the book of First Peter, and today I'm, I'm really excited for this lesson. I, I have to admit to you guys, I wasn't excited at first because I wasn't sure as we started to study chapter five, I wasn't sure we were, where we were going to go. And then we discovered something that I think is pretty fascinating, something I've never really noticed before. Uh, because as Peter wraps up his letter, you know, uh, around AD 63, right, uh, to the early church, talking about suffering, talking about trials, everything we've been talking about in the last few podcasts, we it really calls to mind something that had happened 30 years earlier uh, in Luke chapter 22. So for those of you who are listening at home, what I really encourage you to do is pull up Luke 22 and then side by side pull up 1 Peter 5, because in this lesson we're going to be jumping back and forth between these two passages, because what Jesus, the instructions that Jesus gave to his disciples in Luke 22 are what we see echoed now in Peter's words in 1 Peter chapter 5. And it's just, to me, guys, it's one more case of the trustworthiness of the Bible, of the unity of Scripture, that the Bible really is um, is worth trusting and worth believing, because we see these two parallel passages that just really... Uh, it's pretty fun to kind of go through this together as we do this. So, Ross, why don't we start with this? What is Luke 22? What's the context for Luke 22 uh, for people who maybe don't know? Right. So this sets the scene is Luke 22 is the last night that Jesus spent with his closest followers before he went to the cross. And it's known as the Last Supper or the Upper Room. Um, they met to celebrate the Passover, and Jesus, uh, that night, he instituted the Lord's Supper, the communion, and then he had a long conversation with his followers to prepare them for his departure. And so it, that's, that's when he revealed that one of them would betray him, and Judas went out that night and did it. And so it's their last meal together. Pretty soon, they're going to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus will pray all night. Then the crowds will come, arrest Jesus. He'll be crucified the very next day. And uh, Peter was there. Peter was an integral part of those conversations, as we'll see. And we can see that it had such a, a powerful effect on him that he's uh, really repeating a lot of the same themes that he learned from Jesus that night. Yeah, and we're going to take a look as we study these parallel passages. We're going to take a look at three final instructions. Again, first given to Jesus, by Jesus to his disciples um, as he was about ready to go to the cross, and obviously there was going to be persecution and trials and struggles that his disciples and Jesus, of course, would be facing. But then 30 years later, we surprisingly see the same themes, the same three instructions. We see it in 1 Peter 5. And the first instruction is this, and it's to approach the battle. You know, these culture wars that we're, we've been talking about is to approach it with humility. Let's start in Luke chapter 22. Eric, why don't you read verses 24 through 26? It says, Then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Jesus told them, In this world the kings and great men lorded over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should be the lowest of rank and the leader shall be like a servant. 
And I love what I love about this passage, again, as I've studied this uh, in the last couple of weeks, it's, it's really interesting. The disciple, Jesus had just said, as you mentioned, Ross, Jesus had just said, one of you is going to betray me. Now, they didn't know it was going to be Judas. Uh, of course, hindsight is twenty twenty. We know who it was. We know who he was talking about. They didn't know who it was. And it's, what's funny about it is verse 23 says, the disciples began to ask each other which of them would ever do such a thing. That's verse 23. And verse 24 says, then they began to argue about who would be the greatest among them. That's just hilarious to me. You know, I wouldn't do it. I would never do it. And I, if you know Peter, you know Peter. My guess is Peter is the one who started the whole conversation. Wouldn't be me. I would never deny you, Jesus. I would never be the guy to do that. And then it turns into kind of they're flexing on each other, like who's going to be the greatest. Right. I would never do that because I am like up here. Yes. And yeah. you might do it because you're down here. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's very ironic. <laughs> it's, it's just It's just crazy. It's yeah, it's pretty fun. I'm sure Luke was laughing as he was recounting this story in Luke 22. Yeah, I love Peter because in a way I think I a lot of people can relate to Peter, um but I personally relate to Peter. He has this zeal, you know, this zeal to just run out and do maybe without knowledge or maybe without the endurance to to stay or to keep his faith, but he has this zeal and this passion, and sometimes that has to be curbed. That has to happen in my life too. And ultimately, he's he's failed several times because we know Peter's life, right? He he ultimately did end up denying Jesus, and and so, uh, but Jesus restored him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then when we turn, so there's the context in Luke 22. So just remember that Peter had already gone through that. It was embarrassing to him probably mm-hmm. to think back on that, that he was, you know, he was a guy that was was jumping out on the water to walk on the water as Jesus walked on the water toward them. He's the guy, Peter's the guy, right, that cut off the, the ear of the Roman soldier. Um, Peter was the guy that was always sort of shooting off his mouth. He would, that's just was his personality. Peter, I'm sure, was an ex. Yeah, you were probably like Peter, Eric, <laughs> you know, in our staff meetings. I, I appreciate that about you. Like, you're not afraid to speak up and speak your mind. And, you know, you, you got to take the good with the bad, and you actually do a really good job at that. And I think that's who Peter was. Great leadership potential. Peter, my son's a Peter. Great leadership potential, but probably had to humble himself early on in his life because. Because I think when you're willing to put yourself out there like that, and let's remember this with culture wars, because some Christians are like this, right? Some Christians are more like Peter. They're the ones who are going to probably be on Facebook picking fights. Certainly young Christians would. And I hope if that's you out there, I hope you'd go back and listen to this whole series again and the message of First Peter. Because it's so interesting that in the context of talking about culture wars 2,000 years ago, it still applies today that Peter's the guy that you would have expected to pick a fight. He was the guy that cut off Malchus's ear, the Roman soldier's ear, and yet 30 years later, he's saying, approach the battle with humility. 30 years later, he's coming around to what Jesus was trying to tell him back in Luke 22. Here's how Peter said it in chapter 5. He said, in the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. And he says, in all of you, dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So interesting that Peter is saying those words because Peter had been that proud guy earlier. And then he says in verse six, so humble yourselves under the mighty power of God 
and at the right time, he will lift your he will lift you up in honor. I think what's interesting is verse five, where it says that to you should dress yourselves in humility. The visual there, the word that he's using there, is literally the word for a servant putting on his apron, or like what Jesus did in Luke twenty two. Now Luke twenty two doesn't say that Jesus did this, but the John thirteen account of the Last Supper fills in these details for us. That's when Jesus wrapped a towel around his waist and he washed his disciples' feet. Every one of them, including Judas's feet, he washed their feet, modeling for them what he's saying to them, that this, that we, we need to be servants, even in a culture that spits at the face of God. Yeah, and that's such an interesting parallel. Back to Luke chapter 22, it just it leaps out at you there. But there's another one, too, that I noticed, and that is up in verse 3, where Peter's addressing the spiritual leaders, and he uses like the exact same language that Jesus used. When Jesus says, okay, the pattern of the world is that the leaders of the, that the leaders will lord it over their people under them. And so in verse 3, Peter's speaking to the leaders of the church. He says, don't lord it over the people who are under your care. So it's a direct echo of what Jesus said, and then he goes on to talk about, all right, it's not just the leaders who need to serve and be humble, but he says, all of you, then clothe yourself or dress yourselves in humility as well. You know, here's, here's something that came to my mind as you were talking about reminding us that we're in this culture war series, and I see that verse talking about um, the younger, right? The younger must kind of be submit to the elder, be subject to the elder. Verse 5. In the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. Um, you know, I think <laughs> this is the funny thing, right? So as I've become a father of a teenager, everybody warned me up until this point. Like the younger, the, they just, they think that they're smarter than us for whatever reason, because our technology is advanced or they're in a, a different age, a different era. We're, we're somehow our wisdom or knowledge has just like been you know, expired, <laughs> and, and they've, they've, they've got the answers. Well, it doesn't just apply to him or, you know, my teenagers or whatever, though. Like, they warned me about that. But even me being, I think I'm 37. Yeah, 37, and sometimes, again, I have to be humble and, and realize that the generation that went before me, um, you know, sees things differently, too. Right, and so th things that I can be comfortable with, they're not as comfortable with. Some of the things that I think in my mind aren't the same things that they think in their mind, and that can apply to news and politics and on and on and on. Right, and and so sometimes that that verse just stood out to me because, again, it, you know, as being a Peter type of a person, I do need to receive God's grace and be humble, like what he says. I don't want to be opposed by God, thinking I have all the answers because I'm, you know, younger or whatever, um, is, is, doesn't help. <laughs> yeah, and remember what it says here. It says, humble yourself under the mighty power of God. And so I think there is a, certainly an application, and there's a place to talk about being humble in our response to the secular world during the culture war. But the main thing that Peter is saying here is, Humble yourself in, in relationship to God so that you're always submitted to God instead of submitting yourself to the culture, instead of sort of bowing 
in essence, humbling yourself to the culture, saying, I'm going to be, I'm going to be under the, are you going to be under the culture? Or are you going to be under God? I think you have to make the decision. And of course, our whole theme throughout this series is that during the culture war, and may our kids get this too, is let's be humbly submitted to God. Let's be humbly submitted to him and his word, even when it makes us look foolish in our culture that is, that is drifting further and further away from his standard. Yeah, and I would add just one more thing about humility, because it seems like, in light of the culture war, that humility may seem, it may look like passivity, or like, um, I'm just opting out of the battle, mm. but that's not it at all. Hum- humility in the culture war context is just simply saying, I'm going to trust this to God. I'm still going to do what He calls me to do, but I'm going to trust it to Him, and He's responsible for the outcome, not me. That's good. So number one, approach the battle with humility. Now, the second lesson that we see 30 years apart, first from Jesus in Luke 22, and then from Peter in 1 Peter 5, is this. It's that Satan is the real enemy, not culture. So Jesus said it like this in Luke 22. He says, Simon, Simon, that was Peter's name, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, but I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail so that when you've repented and turned to me again, strengthen your, bo- your brothers. So let's just break this down for a second before we take a look at how Peter echoes this in chapter 5. So, so Jesus is about ready to go to the cross, and apparently Satan had come to Jesus. Ross, tell me if, I've got, if I got this right. It kind of reminds me of what happens in Job. Jo- everything's going great for Job, and then Satan comes to, to God and says, it's only all going great for Job because he's rich and he's got everything he ever wanted. His faith has never been tested. So Satan says, I want to test Job. I want to test his faith. God lets him. And you can go read Job to hear the rest of the story. This reminds me of that, right? That Satan has asked to sift them like wheat. In other words, sifting like wheat is like to see, I don't know if it would be wheat from the chaff or what, but it's to see what the good, what the good stuff is and what the bad stuff is, right? And so... Is that the sense of what's going on here, is that, that, that Satan wanted to test Peter and test his faith? Yeah, it seems to me to be that, that that's the case. It is an, does seem like an echo of Job, and, which is interesting that, that you know, Satan doesn't have the authority to do just whatever he wants to do to, with God's people. But, but it is, there's a testing, and we see that Peter was tested you know, that very night. In, in a number of ways. Right. He was tested when Jesus asked him to pray with him, and he fell asleep. He was tested, you know, when, the you know, iconically, he denied Jesus three times in the course of the night, and, and then just ran away. He failed that test. He failed the test. In the yeah. short term. In the short term. Yeah. 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 Well, you, you know, you quoted in, in Luke 22, Jesus says, you're going to be restored. You know, Jesus... I prayed for you, and Jesus knew what the outcome would be, mm. but, but he failed the test in the short term. We'll talk about in a minute about how he passed the test in the long term. Yeah, now when we look, let's turn now to, to Peter's words 30 years later, right? So now this is, this is after Peter had failed some of the initial tests, but then obviously read the book of Acts, and you can see how Peter ends up being used mightily by God, right? Reinstated and used mightily by God. And now 30 years later, here's this... Here's this guy who had had decades of ups and downs. I'm sure Peter did, not just in those three years walking with Jesus, but I'm sure in those 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, there were ups and downs. We read about some of them in the book of Acts. And then Peter says this in 1 Peter 5. He says, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. 
He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering that you are. And so Peter, now the old man Peter, is saying that enemy is still the real enemy. Satan is the real enemy. It's not the culture. It's not the influence. It's, it's important for us to remember this because I think you can start fighting the wrong enemy and getting real personal about some of those people who are, who are you know, just ignorant about God or who are baiting us into, into these culture wars. And we need to remember in the midst of all this that the real enemy is, is actually Satan. It's not, it's not his minions. Well, yeah, and I think, I think he has a proper, you know, biblical view that when the Bible talks about the enemy that we have, it is the world, the flesh, and the devil. But the Bible says that he is the prince of the power of the air. He is the god of this world. And so he is certainly using um, and influencing the world to be against God's people to cause these trials. And I was thinking back at that verse of Luke 22 about Satan wants to sift him. Um, well, I, I used to work in a flour mill, a wheat mill, and, and, and I would see these mach- I had to repair these machines. I was a maintenance guy, and um, basically it would take the kernel in its, in its original form and have to, it'd have to go through all these different machines to like scathe off you know, the excess and, and the outer part of it and to finally expose the the part that could be mashed up and turned to flour, right? And it was a violent process. It was, there were these machines, like if they were sh- giant, like t- 20 by 20 boxes, there was a floor of them and they would just shake back and forth, back and forth. And every machine that that uh, these grains of, of kernels of, grain would touch, um, basically, it was just getting beat up, you know? And so in the same way, it reminds me that what, what Peter's warning us is, again, going back to the context of the entire book, is is there's a real battle out there, and there's going to be real pain, there's going to be real trial, and you are going to fail, because it talks about that he's going to, after you repent, he's going to restore you, but you're, you're going to fail, but stay alert. You know, all over in the Bible, it brings up so much imagery of be on guard, right? Dress in armor, be ready, stay alert against this enemy, because he is, he is deluded in the idea that somehow he can win, and he is ultimately evil, and he is going to use uh, terrible things against God's people. But we know, we know that we have victory in God, and he's not going to uh, fail us, but there is a warning of, you know, our, our cushy lives that we have might not be so comfortable. Well, yeah, if you go back to Luke 22, I, I've never really thought about this until you started sharing this, Eric, but when when Jesus says, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat, Jesus doesn't say, and I told him no. Hmm. I said, I'm not going to let you. No, he says, but I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that you wouldn't fail the test. And I think it goes back to what we talked about in week one, that trials are inevitable. We're going, to, if you as a Christian are, are in it, and there's, so, there's this brand of Christianity that's not Christianity at all, right? Prosperity gospel that says God wants you to be healthy and wealthy. And look, if you're healthy and wealthy, you better believe it's a gift from God 
but it's not a promise from God. Mm-hmm. It's not a requirement from God. God doesn't owe that to us. The promise from God is that we're going to be sifted, that we're going to be tested, that trials are going to come up against us. And so I think part of what we're learning in this whole book and this series is that we need to be prepared and ready for the culture wars. And it is going to beat us up, like you said, Eric. It, it is going to be hard because, as Peter says later, the, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Lions are scary, fearsome animals. And we need to remember that. And what he's saying here is you need to stand firm against him, be strong in your faith. And he's, I like what he says. You, we don't have time for this, but he says, remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same suffering. In mm-hmm. fact, today that's even, it's, it's actually more intense than that. The family all over the world is going through more real persecution. There's so much real Christian persecution going in the world, even beyond the culture war we have in America. Yeah, it's interesting, Brian, you'd bring that up, because I think that there's another interesting connection here um, to the issue of humility that we talked about a minute ago. Back in Luke 22, Jesus says, Satan desired to sift you, and Peter goes, no, <laughs> I'm good. He says, no, I'll never, de- I'll never de- uh, deny you. I'll never, you know, he, he didn't take it seriously. Mm. But now he takes it pretty serious. He's been humbled. He yeah. was humbled by that. And now he's taking it really seriously. He says, stay alert. And I think in our culture, because Eric, like you're pointing out, things have been relatively easy for Christians in America, that maybe we don't, don't take this maybe as seriously as, as Peter intends it to be taken. Yeah, Paul says it like this in Ephesians 6.12, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So you might not believe in demons, you might not believe in Satan, but Jesus does. (laughs) The Bible very clearly said there's a real spiritual battle going on out there. And, And like you said, the prince of this world is Satan. And, and it's because God's allowed it. I mean, let's, let's be honest. It's God, if God is way more powerful, God is creator but God has allowed it, which is what which is what we see there in Luke 22. God is allowing it, and part of it is for our testing. Part of it is for His glory that He's going to get glory at the end of the day because of it. But let's not let's not be naive about it. The enemy is Satan. It's not it's not that atheist on Facebook or uh, you know it's not some news outlet that is just so clearly going against God's word. It's not those guys are the minions of Satan. Mm-hmm. They don't realize it for the most part. But Satan's a real enemy, which again reminds us what we talked about last week, that we need to be earnest in our prayers. We need to be disciplined in our prayers. We, we better not think that just because of our own earthly efforts, we're going to win this culture war. This culture war isn't just an earthly thing. It's not just a temporal thing. It's a spiritual thing. And- yeah, and it reminds me, you know, that it might not be so evident, but Satan's still getting at American Christians too. You know, I mean, we, again, it is a very sad thing. And in our prayers, we should be praying for our brothers and sisters all around the world that are suffering. Um, but let's, let's not be naive to the fact that, you know, Satan and his minions, his demons know how to get at us. And certainly through, through our country, through what's going on in, in our world is, is we are almost, I mean, almost like the description of Babylon in the book of Revelation, in a sense, in which we, we are the engineers of 
a lot of sin, you know, our country is, you know, and and he's getting at us, he's devouring us in those type of ways. You know, remember Jesus said, be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. We need to be wise and, and we need to know how to to navigate this world and all the little tricks and schemes he has and uh, with his... It, this is one thing that I, I thought about. I don't know where I got this from. It's probably C.S. Lewis or something because he had a lot of uh, cool, kind of scary things that gave me goosebumps when he talked about demons. But um, just think about the idea, what whatever you believe about, you know, the age of the earth or the world or your spiritual beings and stuff. But if if... If demons and, the, and angels were created, you know, at the beginning of the creation of the world, and then they were cast down here to the earth, um, then they're somehow, like, watching and observing us. We live for 70, 80 years. They're li- they've been living for thousands of years, and they are just scheming together in, like, an organized army, an organized uh business on trying to trick us. We need to be smarter than the enemy. We need to use the word of God, right? We, this is what he's saying. Be on guard. Think sober mindedly. Let me be clear. You have an enemy and he's, he's pretty smart. So be prepared. Eric, thank you for freaking everybody out because this is <laughs> this is a perfect, a perfect setup for the last thing that we want to say in the in the book of First Peter and culture wars and and it's the final instruction because when, you know listening to you talk was is good because I think some people are get anxious, some people get um, fearful when mm. they think about culture wars, when they think about the enemy, when they think about Satan, when they think about. Uh, the de- you know demons and de- and spiritual warfare and all this stuff. Some people, you know, rightly so, get nervous and and fearful, and they wonder what what's going to happen. And I and this is the final thing we need to understand. And it, you know, we started this whole series on a positive note that in the midst of suffering and trial, Peter says we're going to win. And and Peter ends on this note because Jesus did thirty years earlier. The, the final instruction is that we need to trust God for ultimate victory. Jesus promised this in Luke 22. He said, verse 28, You have stayed with me in my time of trial, and just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, I now grant you the right to eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. I mean, what a powerful statement that Jesus is. And remember, the context of this is this is before he went to the cross, so I'm sure these words were, were confusing to the disciples because Jesus went to the cross. You know, what, days after this? Jesus dies at the hands of the Roman soldiers, and he had just told them that he, they were going to be part of his kingdom. And we have to remember it's because his kingdom is not, it's not here. It's not, America is not going to be the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a spiritual thing. It's, a, it's so much bigger and better than than the culture wars that we're fighting in here. Peter himself ends up dying. Peter himself ends up being martyred for the gospel. And yet, in verse 10, 1 Peter 5, he echoes these words of Jesus from Luke 22. Peter says, In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you've suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever 
Amen. And what was it, Ross? Two years later, roughly two years later, Peter ends up dying. So does that nullify these words? Well, there's, yeah, let's, we'll talk about that. Not at all. It really does not. Um, going back to Luke 22 and looking at the parallels to that, when Jesus said the, those statements, he was going to the cross. But in the other, in the parallels in Matthew and in John, he says, you know, the shepherd is going to be stricken and the flock will be scattered. So they're going like, hmm, what, what does that mean? You know, that's a little bit scary. And then in John, he says, you know, in this world, you're going to have trouble. You know, I've overcome the world, but you're going to have trouble. I'm leaving. You're going to be, you guys are going to face some stuff. And he didn't articulate all of what that was at the time. But, you know, after Jesus was, was crucified, they were all cowering away, hiding in a, in a place where they couldn't be found. And so, you know, for him to say, oh, here's the big picture. You're going to be invited to my eternal banquet to eat and drink with me, and you're actually going to be elevated to this to place of honor in, in the future world to come. So, you know, there is a final victory there that might be hard to see, but it's definitely promised to us. And so the final victory is not... I mean, let's just be clear about this. The final victory is not that our culture, that America, which is so quickly running away from God's values and principles, it's not that that our politicians and our media you know, giants are going to come to their senses and say, oh, my goodness, uh, we've been on the wrong side all along. I'm, I'm so sorry, Pastor Eric. <laughs> uh, you were right and I was wrong, and, and let's worship the one God of the Bible. That's not what Jesus was talking about when he talked about a kingdom. That's not what Peter was talking about when he talked about the eternal glory that we would share in Christ Jesus. He's talking about really a kingdom that's not of this world, right? That ultimately the culture wars aren't won here in this temporary space that we call earth Right, the culture war ultimately, um, ultimately is won in in a in a grander sense in the eternal in the eternal sense. Yeah, I, and I think well, I th- I think there are some some views out there that would say that you know certainly the Christian Church ought to be doing as much as it can to try to influence and to convert the culture. Um, to try to bring about the kingdom of God everywhere we go. Um, in a sense, that's true, and that's our hope, and that's why we go do evangelism evangelism and missions and apologetics and, and all that type of stuff. But ultimately, you're right. You know, Jesus told us that the way... <laughs> the way to the kingdom was it was a narrow path and few few there be that find it um and so in this i believe peter's saying look because of that because of the the narrow way and and probably the majority of people not going to follow the ways of god but they're going to follow the ways of the world it will cause suffering it will cause persecution i in this verse, I used it in, in week one, actually, when we talked about trials are inevitable, because he starts out with that same sentence, you're going to suffer a little while, and then in, in, in chapter five, he says the same thing. So after you have suffered a little while, so he's, it's just, he's saying, inevitably, this is going to happen mm-hmm. because of whose team you're on mm-hmm. and what you're standing for, but know that 
I'm going to restore you. Know that it's inevitable, but know that I'm going to restore you. And it's so beautiful because thinking about being restored, Peter knows that firsthand. Hmm. Because as we said before, Peter failed many times, especially when he denied Christ three times, you know, before the rooster crowed. Um, but then after Jesus uh, was resurrected, I can't remember exactly the address in the Bible where they meet up and he says, Peter, do you love me? And he says, of course I do. And then he says, feed my sheep, feed my lamb. He restores him three times after him denying him three times. And what is he? He says, feed my sheep. And then the ch this chapter five starts out, shepherd the flock of God among you. Like, so I'm your shepherd, I'm the good shepherd, and now you're, I'm going to be using you, Peter, I'm going to restore you to honor, and you, you're going to, and now Peter has this, this uh, new zeal and passion to say, I'm going to teach you from the things that the Lord taught me, and the things that I failed in, and I'm going to tell you that there is going to be suffering, and you're going to fail, um, but God wants to use you like he used me. Now, now. Now, I, me being a shepherd to a flock, I'm saying, now you guys go and feed the sheep. Be shepherds in, in, in this world where the people at your church might experience suffering and persecution, but God, the same God who restored me is going to restore you. Mm -hmm. And that's the victory that we can look forward to, and Peter knew it firsthand. Mm -hmm. And we're not inviting people to join a, an earthly kingdom. We're inviting people to join a heavenly kingdom. We are trying to reach the, the lost world with a message that hasn't changed in 2,000 years. And it won't change for another 2,000 years if Jesus waits to come back. And, you know, the, the message is there's a, there's a different kingdom, um, and, and you're invited. Everyone's invited to be a part of that kingdom, uh, and it's a refuge to, for people, whether 2,000 years ago on Peter's Day or today in America, or today in some of the countries where there really is persecution that's similar to the early church persecution that were invited in the midst of this culture war. I want to finish just with one passage from Luke 22. I, I think this is just so interesting. At the end of this whole interaction with Peter, Jesus um, asked the disciples, he said, when I sent you out to preach the good news, and you didn't have money, a traveler's bag, or an extra pair of sandals. Did you need anything? And they said, no. And he's talking about the first time he sent them out. It, you know, back in, uh, I think, Matthew 10, it talks about the first time he sends them out two by two. And, and then, he, But he says this in verse 36. He says, but now take your money and a traveler's bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. For the time has come for this prophecy about me to be fulfilled. He was counted among the rebels. And I, uh, to me, that's just such a perfect ending for this series that we've been calling Culture Wars, because what, what Jesus was saying is, look, before he went to the cross and died, there was a certain receptivity to the message when, when Jesus sent out his disciples the first time. But now, after, after Jesus dies and, and is raised to, from the dead, he sends them out a second time, and that's when the persecution really came. And what he's, he's not actually telling them to, to go buy swords and fight it. That's for wait, another. Wait, wait, that doesn't mean, that's not a verse for, for us to say that Jesus is saying we can, we can arm ourselves. No, it's not. And the reason we know is because 
The reason we know is because when, you know, after that in the garden, when Peter chops off the Roman soldier's ear, Jesus is like, what are you doing, dude? So I think that Peter probably misunderstood what Jesus was saying, and maybe some people would misunderstand it. The way I take these verses is just simply at face value that, that the, 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 the times have changed. The season has changed. It, it might have been in our country where the, the culture was open to our message, like apparently the people were open to the disciples' message the first time Jesus sent them out. But now we as Christians in our culture today are going to be counted among the rebels. And that's how Jesus was too. Jesus was counted among the rebels, and so his followers will be counted among the rebels. And so let's be ready to be faithful followers of Jesus, to be a light in our culture that is growing darker and darker by the day. And let's trust that that we can win the ultimate battle in our culture. I think we can. So guys, thanks for talking through this with us. And for those of you who have been listening, again, you can find all these resources at pursuegod.org forward slash one Peter. And also there's a ton of other resources available for you at pursuegod.org. If you want to help people in your world, in your family, in your small group, or in a mentoring relationship, if you want to help people pursue God, that's what pursuegod.org is all about. So if you've never seen it before, check that out and start using it every day. And it'll be a tool that'll help you win the culture war. We'll see you next week where we're starting a brand new series.